This week on Trek Mary Kill. Klingons, flashbacks, prequel. Next. In a time when deep space was still off limits to mankind. Starfleet seems to think that we're ready to begin our mission. They dared to reach for the stars. This is a foolish mission. Take your Vulcan cynicism and bury it. If you're going to try to embrace new worlds, you must try to embrace new ideas. This is how the Star Trek saga begins. Enterprise launches Wednesday, September 26th on UPN. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. I'm Kristen. Welcome to Trek, Mary, Kill, a Star Trek podcast where we talk about how much we want to Trek, Mary, or kill episodes of our favorite show, depending on how good it is, of course. This time we're talking about the last Star Trek show of the Rick Berman era, Star Trek Enterprise, originally just called Enterprise. Mm-hmm. It's simpler. So uh, it it aired, uh, pre- it premiered on UPN, rest in peace, September 26, 2001. It was written by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga. They wrote it together. It was directed by James L. Conway. And uh, pretty remarkably, it had 9.9 million viewers, 15% mm-hmm. of the television audience watching TV that night. That's remarkable. 15 days after 9-11, though, maybe. Yeah, I, no- I noticed that date. <laughs> <laughs> and so pretty, pretty remarkable, pretty famously for our show, Kristen, I recall you saying, that you have no uh, no experience with with Enterprise, so this is it. Zero. This, this was my crash first course. ever exposure to Enterprise. Well, what did you think? Uh, you know, uh, there was some good stuff. There was some stuff I thought was weird. Um, <laughs> it was fine. Like <laughs> I, I, I didn't find it objectionable in general. Um. That theme song is just so f-ing weird. <laughs> I, it's for those who haven't seen it. It's after a cold open, where we see a Oklahoma farm farmer shoot a Klingon with a space shotgun, and then it goes into this theme song. And I, I reserved audible commentary till I was about two thirds through it. And then after two thirds through the opening title sequence, I was like, what the f- is going on? <laughs> yeah, I think you had the exact right reaction that everyone did 21 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing new there. So, yes, Star Trek Enterprise uh, Enterprise that from from uh, what soup to nuts from from the ground floor. <laughs> the intention was to make something that was remarkably different from all the Star Trek shows that had come before it. This was Rick Berman's plan. Well, they nailed it. Uh, yes. That was the plan. I think that the producerial instinct to shake up the whole format and do all that was completely correct. There's a lot of great half good ideas in here. Hmm. <laughs> that like, I, I don't know if there's yeah. like any fully great idea in here, but a lot of it. So basically it's like, let's take Star Trek to closer to our time period. That's the premise of the show. Essentially let's do the very first time Starfleet launches a starship. Essentially the name of the starship is enterprise. They go very much out of their way to make sure 
they don't call it the Enterprise. For some reason, it's in their head that the proper naval way of referring to vessels is without the article, which I was reading okay. about. And it's it's kind of like, no, it's it's in between. So, oh, okay. So they don't call it the Enterprise. They just call it Enterprise. Anyway, they just go out of their way to do that. So the, like stuff like that, call it, like making sure they refer to it as Enterprise, making the characters much more how we are today, which I will definitely get into later in one of the grades. Um, and and maybe even there was a Rick Berman was talking a lot about how he wanted it to feel like all the best shows being made at that time. So this was 2001 turn of the century. And uh, to that end, you know, he, I remember I couldn't find this article, but I swear to God, I remember reading this in an article, you know, in the pre release hype of how he wanted it to have the production value and feel like you were watching something like the West wing, which at the time was the most like I think it was the costliest mm-hmm. show on the air. And so they do little things like instead of fade outs on act, act breaks, they do blackouts, you know, like they do yeah. some things to make it more networky to change it up a little bit. I have been on the set of the West wing and I can tell you, um, maybe they should have paid a visit <laughs> before deciding have, that. Well, we're getting into just, that's going to lead into my uh, ties to the show a little bit here in terms of walking the sets, but I, I want to get the the thing out of the way real quick, the synopsis. Yes. First of all, everyone needs to know that this show, if they've never heard of it or never seen it, it stars Quantum Leap's Scott Bakula. I think America really likes Scott Bakula and yes. CIS New Orleans as well. I think still, yeah, to this day. Yeah. I think I, I have, I'm going to reserve my thoughts in general about his character, Captain Jonathan Archer, who's the first captain of the first Starship Enterprise. And um, he's leading the ship on its maiden voyage, Starfleet's maiden deep space launch with the starship to return a Klingon that has crash landed on Earth back to the Klingon homeworld. But that Klingon is being pursued by these aliens called the Sulaban. The Sulaban are these genetically modified aliens who are working in service of some dude from the future, which even in the show, in the scripts, they just called him future guy. So some ah. some some entity from the future is engaged in a temporal cold war. They literally refer to it as a temporal cold war. And somehow the Klingon that the Enterprise is returning, sorry, Enterprise is returning, has <laughs> some information in his DNA, we find out, um, that will prove that there's um, that the Sulaban and the future guy are trying to cr- cause a, a Klingon civil war. And so basically the information he has will prevent the Klingon empire from falling because that's what the temporal cold war, the future guy is trying to do. And so on the way, the enterprise enterprise and captain Archer have to kind of learn to work together. They've got a Vulcan on board. Who's basically there to assist mm-hmm. them because Vulcans in this version of the show, it's, I think it's a neat idea. Vulcans at the end of Star Trek First Contact, if you saw that movie, we see that they make first contact with human beings after we have a successful warp test, test of our warp drive where we can go faster than light. And and But then since then, 90 years, ridiculous amount of time, the Vulcans have basically been slow playing our development as a spacefaring uh, species or planet. And um, and we're ready to shake off those chains and take it, you know, do it our own. But uh, we have a Vulcan on board anyway, because the Vulcans want to prevent humans from inadvertently starting a war with the Klingons because of their good intentions. And ultimately, they have an adventure and they get the Klingon to the home world and and it all works out and, and we move on and they they 
kicks off their their ongoing adventures. There's the there's the synopsis. <laughs> yeah. Let's go through the cast. We got Captain Jonathan Archer, who's basically like all American. That's basically yeah, the the, like the drive of the character. Corn like and then, yeah, like most of the well, not all of them, but like at least him and then what's the other guy's name? Trip Tucker, like cornbread, like cornfed American boys. Yeah, and he's kind of like North, and then Trip Tucker, who's the engineer, he's got a, a, a twang, a Southern drawl. Mm-hmm. So he's like, it's like North and South America. And then you've got the Vulcan in the middle, played by Jolene Blaylock to Paul, and she's a pure Vulcan. And then you've got uh, skittish translator uh, Hoshi Sato. She's skittish because. She's afraid of being in space, but she's really good with languages. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got Starfleet, but I'm not so hot on the space part. Yeah. Oh, we're going to warp. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got uh, you've got Travis Mayweather, who's the pilot, essentially. And mm-hmm. in a weird idea, he's a space boomer, which means he grew up in space already doing like cargo runs with his family and venturing beyond our solar system which kind of steps on the whole idea of what the show is about. <laughs> if you've already got a human who's already done a bunch of space travel, and then you've got a, a tactical officer, security officer, Malcolm Reed played by a guy who, who doesn't really um, emanate toughness. It's a very interesting casting choice. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's our, that's our crew. And uh, Oh, and there's a dog on board. The captain has a dog. There's a dog on board. Yep. Yeah. Porthos, the beagle. Yep. Um, the theme song, but let's circle right back to that. <laughs> yeah, it's the elephant in the room. It's uh, it's called Faith of the Heart. It was written by Diane Warren, performed by Russell something, Russell Watson, maybe I think is his name. Anyway, it was the song originally written for the movie Patch Adams, <laughs> the Robin Williams movie Patch Adams, which is a huge hit. But even did they it? were like, no, this song's too corny. Oh, and I think- it, did, it didn't make it into the film. It didn't make it into the film. I think oh. Rod Stewart uh, was the singer on that. Um, or maybe it was oh. in the movie in the credits, in the end credits. So I'm not sure. I don't remember, actually. But uh, Rod Stewart sang it. But then they had to do it, get a cheaper version. So they had to get some. Well, yeah. <laughs> and so the, the opening title sequence is actually visually, again, another good instinct. Let's not make it look like just kind of like what you said in complaining about the Voyager credits. Of like, let's just not have a ship going through yeah. beauty shots of space. And, and you can't because the whole point of the first episode is that they don't really do that. Yet. Yes. And so it's it's sort of like the history of human flight, which is, yeah, like I think it was a cool, yeah. Missions. Even from the Wright brothers, Amelia Earhart, like uh, the NASA and all that. And then it's got like sort of Star Trek history of how we advanced and went to Mars. And they've got even a clip from First Contact in there when the warp ship's launching. Um, And so it's neat. And the original music score that they tempt that all to was U2's Beautiful Day. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, wouldn't you know it, they weren't they wouldn't be able to afford that song. So. This is kind of stepping a little yeah, bit on the of its time quality, but you know, shows, you know, 20 years ago, it was kind of a, a, a new practice to have sort of a, a pop song or a hit song. Like a popular, yeah. A popular yes. song is your theme open. Yeah. So you got, you had like what CSI um, or, uh, or something Dawson's that sounded Street. like a pop song, yeah, even if Smallville. it was an original composition. Yeah. But basically a pop song as your opening title mm-hmm. thing. 
And uh, I tried to find some some YouTube versions of someone trying to edit it to Beautiful Day. Yeah, I, don't I was anyone... wondering, like, there must be some, there must have been something like that out there at one point, but I'm sure it got flagged. I think it could work. I just didn't see anyone do a good enough job editing the just leaving the titles as they were and editing the song quite right to fit it. It kind of got close, but I really thought that what worked the best was when the show was being advertised. This is what I remember. Uh, there was a song by the calling called wherever you will go. Yes. And, and it was perfect with the also promo that they were doing. Song. Yes. And I kind of think it was because of the show. <laughs> so, like, I think that was, that all kind of worked together is what I mean. And then I've seen uh, YouTube edits where people put that song in the opening and it works great there. So I think it, it was like a weird missed opportunity or like it's a weird case where the Paramount promote CBS Paramount promotions actually did better than the show. Um, it's kind of a, an unusual thing. Um, but yeah, it's an, it's, it's not an earworm. It's an, it's an ear nail. So, yeah it really um, takes you out of the show like it doesn't really it doesn't really like match to the graphics at all really in my opinion like it yeah it, it looks like it was edited for a different song but it is like it sounds almost like faux patriotic too like yeah. one of those like really crummy like proud to be american an american type songs it gets yeah it gets into that territory yeah um oh, i i i disliked it thoroughly and i never want to hear it again Unfortunately, it, it stays all four seasons. <laughs> well, so, some other things. The intro. <laughs> so 9.9 million viewers on its debut, 15% of all people watching television that night. Tremendous. Um, but then by the end of, I think by the end of the first season, there were already rumors of it, whispers of it being canceled. Mm -hmm. and so in the season two, they really had to figure out what they were going to do to shake up the show to can't like to avoid cancellation. So Starting in season three, they like sped up the theme song a little bit. Kept the same song. Oh, just, no. It was like a slightly different arrangement. And then uh, they dropped or they added Star Trek in there. So it's Star Trek Enterprise. Um, and then they they converted to a, a, like a serialized version of the show. The, but that was very driven by 9-11. There's like a 9-11 attack on Earth and Enterprise to go and, you know, hunt down Bin Laden, <sighs> essentially. Oh, and that's the gosh. whole season. And then season four, when they were pretty sure that was going to be the final season, um, then it it became really interesting. They really leaned into the fact that it was a predecessor to the original series. And they had a bunch of Star Trek novelists on staff and they did these mini arcs. So like two to four episode runs that would tell one big story. And those were re really successful. So it got interesting towards the end there. And then they canceled it. <laughs> yeah so so this everyone calls it an abbreviated run but i think it kind of did everything it could do you know as much as i said they wanted to shake up the format and do something different it's still uh, rick berman and brandon braga after doing star trek since like 89 <laughs> like now 12 yeah. years later they're launching the third or fourth iteration of star trek and so it kind of felt it kind of feels like there was like a teaching an old dog new tricks element to this and um, it was basically like, let's take what we've been doing with Star Trek and do it for the first time instead of the idea of like, let's bring it closer to human beings going out into space. So I was wondering if you thought like if it were made today, do you think this would be better? The story would have been told better if it was like a limited series, like 12 episodes or something. I think so. I Their original plan that the network, UPN, next was that they wanted to take the whole first season 
to build up to the launch. So they did have it mm. in mind, like, let's be really more focused on it and sort of network demands push them to make it closer to what Star Trek had always been, action adventure, you know, planet of the week, alien weirdness, all that stuff. And I think, yeah, maybe if they're not doing 22 or 26 episodes a season and they're kind of slow playing a little bit more, that there is more time to do that. That's why that fourth season is pretty interesting. They take a little more time with the stories and it, and it kind of works out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is your first time watching it. I watched it when it came out. I was actually kind of excited about it, even though it was they were promoting it at the end of Voyager's run. And um, mm. and I was tired of Star Trek as it was by that point. But I'm telling you, folks, I love Star Trek because, my God, I watched it again recently in prep for this episode. And I was like, oh, I still like Star Trek. And even I even <laughs> went, and when I finally because I didn't watch the fourth season all the way through until the pandemic. That's how I mean, like I just got tired of seeing Star Trek stories told the same way. And so I just mm-hmm. was like, I don't care if it's interesting. It's going to still be pretty samey. It's going to sound the same. Like, that's the thing. Like, for as much as they changed the look and the sound. It still wound up over time. They fell back into all their old habits, essentially. Um, yeah. But, you know, I was able to get through season four. After watching the new shows, which tell Star Trek stories in one way, I think I was okay going back and watching Star Trek stories told the way I grew up with in a way that made sense. Um, but, yeah, yeah, they wanted to make it, like, much more deliberate, like you said, or like you were wondering. And then they also had the goal for Broken Bow. That's the name of the pilot. I didn't even mention what the name of the pilot was. Okay. Uh, that that it, they wanted to make the best Star Trek pilot ever, which continues well, our which continues our trend of of Deep Space Nine erasure. Yeah, I still think the fact that they set their sights so high was in itself admirable because I think there were things that were kind of interesting that wound up happening. Here's my connection to the show, not necessarily this episode, but one of my first jobs in Hollywood was working on the Doctor Phil show. But I worked in I worked the graveyard shift in their post-production, which was 100 percent watching B-roll and transcribing it. One of the most salacious jobs. (laughs) And like I could imagine what were your hour? What were your hours? Do you remember? 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. Oh, Brian. Those are my hours. And it was my I had three jobs going. I worked uh, part time at a at a literary agency. So I'd read scripts and then mm-hmm. I was a audience page and then I was doing that. So I go from the audience page job to that job. And then in the morning I'd get off, I'd go home for a few hours and sleep and go to the other job for a few hours, go to the page job, do this. It was, it was rough. But anyway, the big point was it was yeah. on the Paramount. I, I remember those, I remember those days of having three jobs. Like I definitely yeah. know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, so, but I was working there when Star Trek, when Enterprise was shooting, and uh, Angel was shooting, and um, it was the cool. Angel season where they were in the law office. So in the morning when I'd get off, which wasn't always strictly at five, because I I would maybe start at nine, but maybe I would have slept an extra half hour on my lunch break. I don't know. So <laughs> so I would you know, five fifteen or five thirty kind of stumble out. And they'd be opening the stages sometimes. And I would just go and walk on the stages. I had a badge. So my connection was, you said they should have walked through the West Wing sets. When I was a page, I, uh, I was able to do that. Like, that one, Warner Brothers, if you didn't work for Warner Brothers, though, they were much more militant. But uh, 
yeah, the enterprise sets were interesting. I definitely was walking through them going like, man, I, I missed it by like 10 years, this being the enterprise D, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it was still cool. It, like the intention was to make everything feel much more like a submarine, make it feel very practical and tangible. Um, it was the first Star Trek show to be shot widescreen, to be shot digital. Oh, Kristen, this is the only Star Trek show that is canon. Yeah, I saw you put that in the notes and um, that's shocking to me. <laughs> yeah. it, uh, so in the J.J. Abrams movie, if you saw that, you know that the movie starts yes. with this big incursion. That incursion is supposed to be from the quote unquote prime timeline. And what happens in the prime timeline is that the Romulans, you know, their home planet star explodes. And so it creates this other timeline, which is the Chris Pine universe. In the Chris Pine movies, they specifically reference Enterprise because that does precede. That was the other part I was going to say. Enterprise was the first prequel. So that's now three Star Trek prequels that we have prequels to the original series. Three of the eight shows are prequels. That's nuts. So Enterprise survives the any changes that the movies make to Captain Kirk and all that stuff. And you can assume that the Chris Pine movies then alter what the next generation, quote unquote, would be in that universe. Mm -hmm. Also, (laughs) also flowing backwards. If you watch the new shows, Picard seems like it's been affected by this to some degree where Canon's been affected. And Enterprise also because of this temporal Cold War idea. That means that there's someone from the future at some unknown point in the future is messing with Star Trek history. So then yeah. this is the focal point. <laughs> so it's just wild to think that Star Trek Enterprise is is actually the only show that that survives all the regime changes. Just absolutely bizarre. <laughs> That's my final thought there. Let's get to the grades. Okay, great scenes. Uh, yeah, so... I really liked the cold open because it's a Klingon being chased through a cornfield and then he gets shot with the futuristic shotgun. But before that, the Klingon blows up a silo and it ha- it blows up to an extent that it must have been filled with dynamite. It is like <laughs> such a MacGyver explosion and I love it. It's methane. It is like- <laughs> oh, is it? That's what the Vulcans would say later. <laughs> oh okay well anyway but it's a ridiculous explosion yes it's and like the debris coming off of it it seems like it's made up of materials that would not have been in the silo to begin with so it's just like (laughs) like if you blew up a bunch of wooden crates or something so yeah i really like that one and my next one doesn't come for quite some time so maybe you should go oh okay (laughs) my general thought was in the first 45 minutes or so Every scene is half great. Like they're all like, okay, this is a good, good start to the scene. Or I, this scene has a good point. And it just then never, none of them really come together in, in, in a way that's interesting. A lot of them just end with someone coming into a room and berating people. And, yeah. but I, but so the only real scene I liked out of the whole two hour episode was uh, when Archer to Paul and Trip sit down and have, have their meal together. Oh Yeah. And it's not even a fantastic scene. It's but it's it's a nice scene. They sit down, but of course they're real men, so they're just eating steak and potatoes. Yeah, and, and they're, the like, food they're served, their food they're served look like it's from like the steak and potato, baked potato meal from Sizzler. Yeah, it's not. 
and and so and then she's a vegetarian and she's trying to manage a breadstick with a fork and knife because Vulcans don't yeah, touch and their she food. Says, is that like I do not recall that, but is that like a big Vulcan thing? They don't touch their food because that's very illogical. I they're they go out of their way in this episode to um, make the Vulcans very difficult. The 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 and reconcept- she's cutting this yeah. breadstick with a yes. knife and fork, knife like yes. space knife and fork, and then like finally like spears it so she can eat it, and it's like it, okay, well, you could have just I, picked I it up. I don't know that a crunchy breadstick is actually all that appetizing either. So <laughs> no, like her real meal was coming, and she still was picking at the breadstick. But they're basically in that scene, they talk about how much human beings have advanced in the last 50 years. And she's concerned, you know, human beings still aren't quite ready to do this big journey and meet all these other cultures that they might regress because of fear and all that stuff. And, you know, and humans are still carnivore or not. Well, they're not carnivores to begin with. They're omnivores, but they still eat meat. And that's she can't she can't understand it. And even though Archer and Trip are amused by her. By the end mm-hmm. of that scene, they Archer at least kind of softens towards her, and she gets she gets the punchline when she successfully cuts the breadstick and holds it up on the fork. And mm-hmm. I don't know it, that is their triumvirate that they aimed for to start at the show, and I think that was a wise decision. Those are probably the three best performers in the cast too, so it kind of worked out. So I don't know. I, I like the scene. It stood out as like the whole way through. It was one of the scenes actually ended in an interesting place than where from where it started. So yeah. Uh, my next one, again, doesn't come for quite some time, and that is the fight on the roof. Um, I love a good Star Trek fight, and people are punching each other in the mouth and shooting at each other, and it's snowing. And I like that kind of stuff. So um, I found that it was, like, pretty Star Trek in, in the fact that they're just, like, shooting, a, shoot, shooting what do they call it, phaser pistor, pistols? Phase pistols. Phase pistols. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't workshopped the name yet. Um yeah. <laughs> But like, I like those little tidbits and I guess I'll go into this more later, but like, we haven't really figured out the name for these yet. So we're calling them phase pistols. Okay. So what's your next scene? Cause I, I feel like the only other scene I might throw in is it's towards the end. Yeah. Well, the Klingon punches one of the Sulaban in the face and it's very funny to me and it's great. I, I don't know. I love all the punching in the face. Like I think just maybe that first original series pilot made me think that maybe more punching in the face should be happening on Star Trek. I agree. Also, I was a little disappointed by the Klang, the Klingon in this one. He looked great. Good Klingon. Yeah. He spoke, the actor spoke Klingon <laughs> well. Tall, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. A Klingon running away from a fight was kind of dumb. And him mm-hmm. kind of sneaking through the silo to trick them into going in. And then he blew it up. It was kind of whatever. And then he's basically a damsel the whole time. It was it yeah. was a weird choice to make it a Klingon, um, but I think this is what I was kind of mocking with the Star Trek Discovery pilot that we need to bring back in here. It seems like that they use the same market research for Star Trek Discovery that they did for this one because it literally we we literally use, use the same opening, almost the same opening that mm-hmm. we did <laughs> we did for Discovery. It's got Klingons and Vulcans. That's what people know, and the Enterprise and warp drive. <laughs> and phasers and like those are literally all the plot points in this story you know enterprise the enterprise being able to go a certain warp speed um, imagine if you like they're like well what if our 
tried and true Star Trek fans turn on this pilot and they're like, there's not a single Klingon in here and they never watch again. Like, I don't think like that's a real fear, like, but they have to put the Klingons and everything. Yeah. And the Vulcans, but I like that they have the Vulcans. I understand the Vulcan part. Yeah. Like and the fact that they do a tweak point. on the Vulcans. Yeah, and they do a tweak on what of what we understand the Vulcans to be. They're not like Spock. They're not our friend. I think that was good. Mm-hmm. But this whole idea that the Klingons are a warrior race and all that stuff, I'm like, I don't see that. There's no threat. The Klingons don't serve as a threat. They're only stated as being as such. And then this whole time that he's kind of being chased around. You know, I like the idea that they're going to bring him back. I just didn't like all the circumstances for it. Anyway, um, what are your other great scenes? Oh, that was my last one. <laughs> Sorry. I, I actually, well, I, I had put one in, but then I actually realized that that should be under a different category. So I will save it. <laughs> I kind of like the scene with the final fight with the big Suleban boss and Archer when they're in yeah. the, the, I'm the, the future guy's chamber. The future guy's chamber has this cool effect where you go into there and you're sort of out of sync in time. So like suddenly you walk in and you're, your footsteps are like maybe a second ahead of you or a second behind you. And it's very, it's supposed to be very disorienting. I thought it was a great, it, it was well communicated what weirdness was going on in there. I kind of yeah, thought I, that, I thought like the f- effects were f- like totally fine and not like distracting even looking yeah, back I'm, on it. He was very mustache twirling, which wasn't the actor's fault. He did exactly <laughs> what he, the character was written as. Um, but it, it, I don't know. I, I kind of liked it because it was a good, uh it was good enough it was a good enough showdown and the the captain of the of an enterprise showing having a showdown with the villain at the end is that's pretty classic star trek so yeah um that's good there okay so then that's that's basically (laughs) you know (laughs) just a few good great scenes that doesn't mean that they're that yeah the other scenes are terrible yeah yeah so best trek tropes uh, i guess i'll go first i kind of mentioned already the big fight at the end but i kind of like the trope of the vulcans using logic and being sassy to humans mm-hmm. but it's it's everything i'm saying it's it works even better in this time around because they're not it's it's a trope being used and inverted but not as sort of like a deconstruction uh that humans and vulcans sort of are barely tolerating each other um, and Vulcans are using their logic, but then we see them get impatient with humans. And so because they're around humans so yeah, much, they actually they're, kind they're of... they're basically, like, they're babysitting them. Yes. So they don't do yes. anything stupid. Yeah. Right. Because they, they looked at our history, and they were like, we can't just let these hillbillies <laughs> jump into space and start talking to people. They're going to get annihilated. <laughs> yeah, you're going to embarrass us in front, of the, in front of the universe, okay? Like, ooh. And the show plays into that in a way it, the weird part is that the show plays in the indignation as though Archer and the humans are correct in being indignant. we never get the other perspective in a way that's as convincing, you know, because the Vulcans are also kind of very snide about it. And over yeah. time to Paul is she becomes part of the crew and she doesn't really lose her perspective too much, but it's, I don't know. I just thought it was a good trope this time around using Vulcans and logic uh, in, in, in the way that they do this time around. It was good use of it. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I put everyone questioning, are the transporters really safe to transport people? Um, <laughs> no, maybe not. Um, and Hoshi being scared of the warp drive because it's new. 
she literally she has a line where they she walks into engineering to give her report and she goes are you sure it's safe to be standing next yeah, to her yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i also put that the captain gets gets to fight um which we already talked about but i like that and uh i should also say that i liked just like i've already mentioned it but i did like how they put these little tidbits in of like you know it's before the original series we don't have all the same technology so you know we don't have we don't transport use a transporter for people but like we have the technology but it's like kind of iffy we have like we can go to warp four but that's it we've never done anything else um and like the only weapons they have they finally got weapons and then the face pistols (laughs) um and like the communicators are kind of weird and like it's just like different and i i like that i guess i can see how some people be really annoyed by it but i liked the little reminders of like it's not like it's a little more rinky dink than the star trek you're used to yeah i liked it i think they didn't go far enough i think they they should have this will get into my worst trek tropes which that's perfect time oh one more best trek trope which is drafting off of mine um a positive view of of non-human species so the Suleiman oh, are the bad yeah. are the bad guys basically, which you know that's fine. But we also get the sense that they're being manipulated and they've been basically given this gift of genetic mo- modification. They can stretch and twist and flatten their body and yeah, by the know, evil future guy, future guy, right, and handle different atmospheres. So they basically got bio bio upgrades from the future. So even then, it's like we can understand like they there's something going on here. They have a debt now to this person. But, you know, the Vulcans are trying to help, but the way they're helping humans are kind of indignant for. But then they do help. T'Pol does help. But then you've got um, Dr. Phlox. I didn't even mention the cast breakdown played by John Billingsley. Phlox uh, is a is a is a decent character throughout the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. John Billingsley is <laughs> a great actor, but like he's the he's the chief doctor on the ship and um, a positive view of aliens right he even likes mm-hmm. humans and um uh when they go to that rigel 10 uh, facility to look for you know to continue their search for spoiler alert the suleiman actually do get clang they kidnap him off enterprise to find out what he knows and then the enterprise has to go look for him um and on rigel 10 there's that scene where that little kid's coughing or like mm-hmm. suffocating because the mom's trying to get it to adapt uh, you know what I mean? Like it's presented as weird from a human perspective, but not scary and terrifying. Like the Klingons were made into orcs in discovery. Yeah. So there's a sense of <laughs> sort of like there is an other, but it's not necessarily that we have to be afraid of the other. And even in the way that Archer and the, you know, they kind of seem a little, um, uh, nonplussed by some of the stuff they experience. <laughs> Yeah. Like you're not on the Paramount backlot right now. You're on another planet, but still the point is, is like the, every, they go into it with the open mind. So they're approaching everything, not from cynicism. They, they are approaching it with the sense of like awe and wonder. And I, I really liked that, that, that came through. So that's my other trope. Yeah. Uh, worst Trek tropes. Kristen. Um, well, the, one of the Suleban guys has like the worst disguise when they go oh. to that planet. Why? It's so bad. <laughs> uh. Like, really, really bad. Like, woof. <laughs> like, just gonna blend in here with the locals. Um, 
I could have probably put this in most of its time quality, but Saren, one of the Suabun that they have to meet, has to kiss Captain Archer to measure his loyalty, was it? To and see this how only... much she can trust him. Yes. That's the only way she can That's sense how trustworthy way. he is. <laughs> it's the only way she can she can know for sure. She's literally on in this episode for three minutes to mm-hmm. saunter on, kiss him, talk sultry, and get shot. That's yeah. all she's there for. That's it. And he's and he's like, under normal circumstances, I'd be fine with this, but uh and yeah, it's just it's weird. Like she's like she's transformed herself into this like she presents herself as this like beautiful woman and then she like becomes an ugly alien again um right after not even yeah not clear that the suleban can do that just she could because they wanted to do that so (laughs) (laughs) and like it does beg the question if all of them can do that why didn't all all of them do that to like blend in more (laughs) but you know it would seem like it'd be more helpful in a better disguise certainly yes exactly (laughs) Um, on my worst trope, I, I was able to settle on one because this was also, oh. it was like going back and, you know, they're deconstructing or setting up tropes. So being open-minded to all that, but they're, they're still teching the tech, teching the tech. What do I mean by that? <laughs> this is the thing that the Star Trek writers even acknowledge late in the run. So in the scripts, if, if you're listening to this and you don't know a lot about, I'm giving you a crash course in the Star Trek scripts, at least in the nineties, when they would come up on a science fiction problem that needed a science fiction solution, they had a technical advisor, Andre Bormanis, and they would just put in the dialogue sometimes just tech. Oh, you've got a tech problem. And then the science advisor would go and, and find come up with something that sounded scientific or maybe was plausibly mm-hmm. scientific. And it became such a crutch for Star Trek writers. Like if you're a Star Trek Voyager fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, you know, you, you use fake science to fix the fake science problem. And so the drama was just like, how quickly could you press the buttons in time to do this or do that? And they'd still do that at the end of this episode where they're going on to this to get Clang out of this complex where all the Suleban have all their ships magnetized into Reed gives him a device that can demagnetize everything in a 500 meter radius or something, which is like, first of all, why would they have that on board? What's the, yeah. did he build, did he build that? And if he did, seems like that's something we needed to see his character do. That's like, an, he, Oh, he's a MacGyver. That would make more sense. That'd make him a cool character. Yeah. But we don't see that. So it's like, okay, so they have it on board. So then they're going to go into this. So, and it's all just very frictionless. Like they figure out how to fly the ship enemy ship. The, that the, they captured the in. mission is ridiculous in how much could go wrong. Yes. On the first, <laughs> the maiden voyage of Starfleet out of like what the solar system or what galaxy, whatever it is. Well, it's, out, it, of the, it's, it's, it's out of the galaxy, it's, yeah, right? It's, yeah. No, it's out of the solar assume, system. Galaxy well, no, was uh, think, where no man has gone before. Oh, okay. <laughs> So they haven't gone out of the gal out of the solar they haven't system gone, yet. They haven't really gone deep. It's it's more like they haven't really gone deep past our solar system. Okay, like Starfleet hasn't. It's like not, not to like, like not to another habitat like like another habitable I guess another, planet. Another way of saying it is like a sector, like okay. maybe it's something more like that. So it's not so like it's yeah, but it's the maiden voyage. Yes, and you are embarking on this rescue mission for this freaking Klingon you don't know from the next guy it's not even like it's a, your best friend or whatever 
and it's super super dangerous <laughs> and like it there's no way it should work no and not even and- in like the normal star trek reason of like oh well somebody figured something out it was just like oh yeah we're just gonna park it right here <laughs> and uh, we're just gonna get off the ship and yeah we're gonna we know how to dock it it's fine we took that crash course and we're gonna find the klingon immediately yep and then we're gonna get them out and it's no problem and and meanwhile and, the enterprise yeah. sorry enterprise is not gonna get blown up <laughs> in the meantime while we it, dilly dally looking for the klingon Buried in that Enterprise swoops down and beams Archer out just in time. I actually did. I did like that as like that is yeah. what you were setting up the whole time. And uh, Scott Bakula's reaction to being transported for the first time yeah. where he's like horrified and he can't believe he's also sur- he's also alive at the same time. And do you um, think that Archer has like grounds to be really angry at T'Pol and uh, Tucker for doing that? Well, that's why the first thing Tucker says is, sorry, Captain. So yeah, it was the only way <laughs> like, hey, <laughs> yeah, we haven't tried yeah. this before. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah. it, earlier in the in, earlier in the show, they say like he wouldn't even let his dog be beamed. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and then that becomes a joke in Star Trek 09 where um, that Scotty Simon Pegg says that he beamed admiral archer's prized beagle and it never materialized anywhere like he did <laughs> that's yeah. why he got sent to a, a far away oh and so the the teching the tech i think is still the issue here also the other part where Tapal shows her worth or shows how she's working with the crew where they figure out how to detect the decay rates of the plasma trail from the sulabon mm-hmm. ships and that was teching the tech it's stupid it's also she modified she helped them modify the sensors. I'm like, well, okay, I don't think you can adjust a state of the art system to do something. You know, what I mean, if it wasn't designed for that, how can it be modified to do that? And you know what I mean. But also, more importantly, it's just they tech the tech as as a lazy out. The writers even admitted this. And yeah. in this case, they dropped their own story idea. The episode. <laughs> I didn't get into this in the premise, but there's like a running flashback with the uh, Archer mm-hmm. and his dad played, played by, by Duck the guy. Phillips. Yeah. By like Duck Phillips from Mad Men. Yeah. I was like, Mad great. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and so when Archer was a boy, his dad was working on warp drive with, with humans and the Vulcans to increase the power of it. That was the big project to hit warp five. But the Vulcans for some reason were delaying his dad's life work life's work so it's like a bunch of scenes of them bonding or just a few and the dad dies before he gets to see this mission go on so the whole time we're talking about it warp four is what you said is what they mostly can go by but enterprise can go warp five that's it's like big thing Mm -hmm. that's why starfleet's excited to launch it so if you've got these ships that have gotten away from you why would you go with the tech problem with the tech solution instead of saying our ship is faster than probably most ships out in space right now. We can mm-hmm. run them down. They don't know that. Like yeah. that seems like you ruined your own idea in the pilot <laughs> yeah. of like what enterprise has one thing that none of these other ships do. Speed. It can go fast. Yeah, yeah. We can catch up to them and they don't even do that because they're, they, again, old dog, new tricks. It's like they, they only, they were limited by their years and years and years of having to quickly write television, Star Trek television episodes. 
anyway, so the, that's really it uh, for the tropes. Anyway. Mm-hmm. And then next we have most of its time quality. Brian, I could go on go and on with this. I know, but, I know, me too. <laughs> oh boy, we all, we so before I say my my first one, I okay. will say I we did kind of already touch on this the opening title sequence with a pop mm-hmm. song. That's yeah. very, very much of its time. We already talked about that. Um, what and I just kind of mentioned it also with what I said about the flashback. So like daddy issues informing the the main character. I really yeah. do think that was like a, a turn. I mean, it, it it's a trope that continued till like maybe as recently as three years ago, <laughs> like where all the stories became about the main characters and their dad issues. Um, there's a lot of that. He's got, he's carrying his father's resentments through into this story. Archer is, mm-hmm. uh, he's got a chip on his shoulder towards the, towards the Vulcans because what he, his dad told him they did to him by basically delaying and delaying and delaying. Anyway, what do you have? <laughs> so to Paul's whole look, the hair, the makeup, the wardrobe, the she's wearing uh, a cat maybe suit. I shouldn't say this, but yeah, 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 wearing the cat suit, the whole thing. Um, well, I have a so I have a label for that. Time. I have a label for it? that. Does anyone remember Maxim Magazine? Yeah. So, like, this is this is just all women are Maxim Magazine. This entire show is being yeah. built we're going to bring it in star trek into the 21st century and we're going to down to the body proportions yeah yes yes the pouty face all that stuff uh but also like the way the men act the you know the way the men are this is how men are you know Mm -hmm. archer is not just like he's not uh john john wayne or clint eastwood he's like how a man in 2001 would say a man is you know, I don't think yeah. Archer smokes a cigar, but he's basically like meat yeah, and potatoes well. and yeah, exactly. And like threatening everybody and all that stuff. Anyway, what else do you have? <laughs> uh, can we talk about the butterfly eating nightclub slash strip club thing that they go to? Yeah, it was weak With... sauce, but yes, please. By all means. Yes. <laughs> that is so of its time, like just the colors and just like, it's basically like two women, not totally naked but like painted over and kind um, of dancing writhing like dancing kind of... and writhing and like yeah. catching butterflies or bugs with their tongues yeah uh, to, to... and they're, they're on stage and there's a bunch of like men around them just like and the hoop, men's hoop like do you want me to sell them to you Ooh. Yeah. do you like <laughs> i can perhaps arrange an introduction yeah right. <laughs> the whole thing and like, what's his name? What's the one that gets um, all like caught up into it? I forget his Reed? name. Malcolm Reed, the yeah. British guy. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, those real bugs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's like because Mayweather looks like a guy who's got no problem having you yeah. know having women be attracted to him, and then you got his best his his good buddy who's like, oh, a woman. Oh. Yeah, then Mayweather's like, maybe we should go back to the ship. Like, this guy's going to get me in trouble over here. Um, And also, so many of these characters end up in their underwear. Well, so, folks, there's a decontamination chamber. That's the other big innovation that they have. (laughs) So in Star Trek lore, you might remember that the the transporters have biofilters, like screens out any bugs or germs or, you know, stuff that could, you know, it's it's garbage it's bullshit but whatever 
so in this one, because they don't have the transporter biofilter, they they have a decontamination chamber where crew members have to rub decontamination gel on each other. And it's definitely a well, networking like have- necessarily on each other, just on yourself. How are you going to get it on the other on your back? <laughs> you know, it's Star Trek. How could they have not made a device like a thing, like a spray tanner that just a little loofah, a little decon, yeah. decon loofah, yeah, like a little applicator. It's all a way to get the cast in their underwear and naked mm-hmm. and sexy and touching and each other. It's so uncomfortable, like. They they do close ups of like him rubbing a gel all over her back, and then like on her stomach, and then like on his body, and I, the whole time I was just like cringing. I was just like, Ooh. also just Yuck. like actual shots and like here's her pelvis, here's his yeah, <laughs> and like very very little to the imagination was not broadcast in HD, but you know, now is in HD and <laughs> I don't know if she's got stunt nipples going on. I also don't know I if don't he's, know. but they're intense and you can see them very clearly to Paul's Jolene Blaylock was 100% objectified the whole four years. And I'm sure oh, she no. does not feel great about it, even though she was also then in Max magazine. So I don't know. Of course. <laughs> but, yeah, of course. Yeah. but then, uh, Trip Tucker, I want to know if he stuffed his underwear because unfortunately, because of the HD and my gigantic TV, there's a quite a bulge going on there. And I mean, super if, tight I, boxer briefs. if I were a man who had to be in my super tight boxer briefs on national television, I would absolutely stuff unless I was like at like just really packing heat. Right. Which I think maybe Scott to. Bakula was because Scott Bakula is wearing tidy whities, which are blue. And he, he has just a scene in his bunk where he's got his pants off. He's just yeah, in his exactly. underwear. Everyone's and it's like, oh, underwear. I'm like, oh, again, my giant TV is showing me a lot of Scott Bakula right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, that, that's all. I would also, though, if I were um, the woman playing to Paul, I would probably be like, you have to um, absolutely give me like the padded bra with the fake nipples. I would have said that was great, too. I would tell, yeah. Fake I, nipples I'm, back then was actually like a big thing. I'm gonna buy that those were fake nipples. They were, yeah, because they no very like, symmetrical and super intense. Yeah, yeah, I've seen them and like, yeah, they can show through like a padded bra even. Yeah, there other of its time qualities was sort of her relationship with Hoshi Sato. Women are catty with each other. That mm-hmm. was that. I mean, that's kind of an of its time and a trek trope, although. I can't remember in the original series or even next generation or especially deep space nine, where the women are automatically butting heads and caddy with each other. But to Paul yeah, and Sato so and Hoshi really are like, Oh, one or the other, like they're, they're very oil and water. Um, you know, like literally to Paul's like, Oh, you should go to bed. You're being hysterical. And then, and then Hoshi like breaks professionalism to swear at her in Vulcan and then to Paul's response is, I was told to, I was instructed to speak English on this mission. I would just, you know, that kind of thing. Oof. So it's also just it had the, like, here's the thing. It just felt like a lot of middle-aged men writing to be cool or if they were the mm-hmm. captain. You know, a- another example of that, the captain's chair. They took a lot of pride in talking about this during the launch of the show. The, the captain's chair is like a fitted Corvette chair. Like it was oh. in the Corvette. So it's like, so then all these hot women, if, again, if Archer's the Rick Berman stand in like, Oh, this hot woman just comes out of the shadows 
makes out with him and then gets shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like in real life. He walks into a room and tells everyone they're wrong. And they're like, oh, you're right. And they 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 give in. That's a lot. Yeah, Archer I, has like several scenes where he just walks in and yells at everybody. He th- that's one of my what? least favorite male writer tropes is the every woman thinks I'm great. And I'm absolutely right about everything. Yeah. And, and he's got basically Trip as his wingman, right? His bro. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but Archer literally threatens to knock to Paul on her ass. Like when he mm-hmm. meets her, he's like, how dare you woman? Tell me what to think. He threatens her twice. The first one to assault her. The second one, he's going to lock her in her quarters if she withholds any information. And then he tells the woman before she kisses him, you better be careful. I'm a lot bigger than you. And it's like, what? <laughs> I mean, not really. Like, yeah. I mean, it's it's also like, you know, that the Suliban are genetically modified. I don't understand. why. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So I, I kind of think there is, I don't know that that's necessarily of its time. That's like set, set in 2001, but we certainly highlighted some examples in say strange new worlds where they're different. You know what I mean? Like people liked him, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Akiva Goldsman, Chris Pike for certain ways <laughs> differently than here. Um, anyway, I thought the VFX were very of their time. Well, they, yeah, they weren't bad, but they, but they were very are. much yeah, like yeah. you could tell when, when it was made. I think um, they, it, had some restraint on some of those like it wasn't as like it wasn't as cheesy as i would have expected it to be oh yeah i didn't think they were well okay so this show does it does go very far in the poser people thing um there's a lot of like green screening um people onto digitally created environments and you can tell sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but then also in the faraway shots they used to do matte paintings on star trek this time they got rid of that so you have a lot of like fake digital sprite characters walking around. You can tell every time now when it's those people <laughs> and it looks ridiculous. So, but you know, some of the stuff like the explosions, I don't like the way that this enterprise looks I'm not a fan of this design. Um, and I think the fact that it's so flat and it's not a model, the digital uh, imaging mm-hmm. kind of makes everything seem really small and insignificant. I don't know, but at the same time, it all kind of worked. It all fit together. It, nothing really stood out as bad. So. Anything else? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the line must be drawn here. <laughs> Great um, line. No. Great lines. <laughs> oh boy, I had a hard time with this. I didn't find anything all that memorable. Although I think I probably should have wrote down who said this. My thing was Archer. Are you saying he's some kind of mutant? <laughs> um. Uh, I had one of the dummy sorry, admirals. Oh. oh, and then um, when they're sh- they shoot, they're like on the away mission, and they shoot at one of the Sulaban. They're like, "Oh, stun seems to work <laughs> on the the phasers," because they were told they were told them, "Well, there's only two settings. Don't get the wrong one." I have three great lines. Okay, the one of the dummy admirals at the beginning when he says, "It's a Klingot." And then the Vulcan has to correct him and say, cling on. And then um, when Archer in that fight, I right before he threatens to knock to Paul on her ass, he says, when your logic doesn't work, you raise your voice. You've been on earth too long. It's like, well, how can you be so self-aware, Jonathan Archer? And yet such an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> 
and then towards the end, I think it's uh, Malcolm who suggests beaming the Klingon out of the where he's being held. And Archer turns and goes, we've risked too much to bring him back inside out. <laughs> Which I thought was a great line to throw into, like, they don't trust the transporters. <laughs> yeah. And also, again, who cares? Just, yeah. he'll, whatever, he died in a transport accident, who cares? Bring him home and the clans will get what they want, right? Which is the Maybe, DNA. Unless, unless the transporter screws up the DNA message so uh-huh. much that they can't find the information they need the anton caridian award for best performance uh you know i have a hard one because i don't i we're supposed to give it to one person right yeah i think i'm just a really bad judge of this of this category um i guess i could just give it can i just give it to scott Bakula because i like him or is that fine (laughs) that's fine can we there's nobody that's like so so good that i'm like oh wow Uh, there was someone who i thought was consistent in and hit all the marks, but I want to, the back of the thing was sort of my, the one you go to, because he came into Paramount, Scott Bakula to pitch his own science fiction show. You know, he's got quantum leap Mm -hmm. as his cachet and he had a writing partner and they had an idea and Paramount's like, of course we want to work with Scott Bakula. And he comes in and he doesn't even to pitch it because they come in like, what do you think about being the captain of the next enterprise? (laughs) Because it's like, Oh, if Scott Bakula is interested, we'll just make him the captain. So on that sense, it's like, yeah, of course, he has to carry the show. The parts written that way. And I think he does a pretty good job, but not all. I don't think he does. a. Again, it's a pilot. It's very hard to figure out. It's really hard on the pilots. Everyone's trying to figure it out. Um, We can go with that. We'll go with that. That's fine. (laughs) Who was your other one? The lead Suleban. Ah, because he he has to really go for it. But he's he's so consistent. Like they give him a couple of moments where he has to be vulnerable when he talks to future guy. And he says, one of my friends was killed, which is a, it's like a hackney line to, to build in some fake. These are real people too. It's like not interesting. It doesn't go anywhere. Um, but he plays it well. And then we has to like switch to Klingon talking to the Klingon. I thought he sounded good. And when he's toying with Archer in the future guy's room, I don't know. I just thought I was like, this performance is stable across all scenes. And it's he's conveying what he needs to. Whereas Archer, I'm like, man, this guy's an asshole and I don't like him. And then sometimes I do like him and I think he's fine. But yeah, uh, I think it's just like in the pilots, we've just seen such uneven character development in the pilots that I mean, it's difficult for even like really, really good actors to give a really good performance. And he is in basically every scene. So, yeah, he should get it. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> all right the shatner um again not necessarily for bad acting but i'm gonna give it to um there's a group of the sulaban who are slinking around in night vision <laughs> so the, the real one who's walking <laughs> is like they're like yeah let's just you know they're creepy that whole idea is just like i i, I literally laughed it was it just looks so bizarre. Like why a night vision and why well, are they, again, they wanted like, to make it seem edgy. Around on, the, yeah. on the, on the ceiling. Ugh, they're creepy. Um, that whole thing about, about them slinking around on the ceiling when it, there's no need to do that at all. So you are saying the only, cause the other two that were on the walls, those were CG. So you're oh. just talking about the one who is walking. Well, in general, the way he turns most... and looks like, like, oh. like Bigfoot. 
He like turns and looks back at the camera. Like I didn't know they were CG. (laughs) Well, can I just give it to like all the day players, Sulaban? Then, well, can I can I offer make a nomination and maybe you'll just confirm this? Yes. I don't think this is a bad job, by the way, but going for it, the coughing kid on Rigel Ten. Shit. Sorry, kid. That kid did nothing wrong. No, no, no. But it's like he they, he had to convey your mother. That kid. So yeah, the idea up. was that kid was Eddie Redmayne, <laughs> which young Archer kind of looked like. The flashback archers kind of looked like oh, Eddie yeah. Redmayne. Yeah, but the coughing kid on Rigel Ten, he had to portray like, oh my god, I'm suffocating, but I'm yeah. also getting used to it, and his he can only really do one yeah. reaction. And this it's like a, yeah, really like a consumptive kid from a yes. Dickens novel. Yes. The whole scene is very Dickensian. Yes. So that's my nomination. Do you accept it or do you want to go with the Sulaban? Sure, sure. Okay. I mean, <laughs> now that I know that they're CG, <laughs> the ones that in particular, I was like, ugh. I also All want right. to say that that's Bacula on the line. Volatile? You have no idea how much I'm restraining myself from knocking you on your ass. The way he says that line. There's also a line by Flox at one point that I was like, but I didn't write it down, so I can't even remember what it was. But I was like, Mm. towards the beginning, he said he just one line delivery, and I was like, he went for it. No, 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 take two. (laughs) No, no time for that. No, especially for like a you know not even a main character. (laughs) All right, so. What part of this are they teaching at Starfleet Academy? I think they're teaching basically every part of this, like yeah. as a, as a like a, they're teaching every part of this, not as like what lessons can we take from this. This is all history, I think, is what they'd be teaching from it. Yeah, like they wouldn't be teaching any of the tech stuff, any of the alien relations. They'd just be like saying, it'd be like pioneer days. Like this is what this is how Starfleet got started, sort of thing. Yeah, like, you know, how you have to learn about the Oregon Trail. Pretty much. Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Not because you're going to go do it. (laughs) Right. Right. I think they'd also be teaching the Klingon dialects that they got a little bit more better handle on having actually met a Klingon. I got to think Vulcan, at least, is also a required language, although we have no evidence of that. But maybe at least in earlier Starfleet days, like maybe around Kirk's time, it was maybe more of a requirement. I don't know. <laughs> oh, and also they can also teach that, guess what? You can transport people and it's fine. <laughs> That's what, yes, that would have been one of the first things they said. Yeah, like, that'd probably be like, guess what, guys? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We are on the mission. Blah, blah, blah. You can transport people. And so far it's been like five minutes. I feel Seems fine. fine. Yeah. <laughs> There's an episode in <laughs> we season won't know four. For, sure for a while. Right. There's an episode in season four where we meet the guy who invented the transporter. Um, and oh. There's an adventure with that. So. How would the predecessor captain slash show resolve the conflict? So I built in thinking about this very problem because there is no predecessor captain Star uh-huh. Trek chronology wise. So it would be the predecessor show, which would be Voyager. And oh. I don't know. Voyager is such a shit show. Who knows what's going on? They would it'd probably be the same. Like that solution with the teching the tech and demagnetizing mm-hmm. the thing and swooping in to beam out the captain at the end. That would probably be what happens in Voyager. But um, but in terms of how they would resolve the conflict, 
Star Trek Voyager was all about messing around with temporal energy and stuff. So they'd probably just go straight at few. Once Janeway heard there's a temporal cold war going on. Well, that's who we need to go to. (laughs) The whole episode would have just made a hard left turn. (laughs) Yeah. Like I forgot the Klingon. (laughs) Yeah. We'll send the Klingon on a shuttle. He'll be fine. Bye. (laughs) It'll take you, especially if it's like in the show, take him 70 years to get back. That's right. That's right. By yourself, by um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Okay, I didn't put it because I didn't know. So, but yeah, I guess I think you're right. Like, if it's Janeway, that's probably what would happen. So, this is just for the episode, not the show. I've seen the show, so Mm -hmm. I could probably answer this better. But for the episode Broken Bow, the pilot of Star Trek Enterprise, Kristen, Trek, Mary, or Kill? Uh, I think I might give it a soft Trek. Because I there were certain things in it that I did like, but it is a pilot, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to be like more charitable to these pilots, I guess, when they don't yeah, think, actively offend me. <laughs> I think not offending is is a good is a good. But it still point. had like some cool Star Trek stuff. Like there were fights, there were being people were punched, there was a cool explosion. Yep, uh, so. I give it a solid Trek, like a like a okay. single up the middle. Like a really hard hit ball up the middle. Um, okay. I think that, I, again, it's what I said at the beginning. I really liked that they went into the the whole idea, the whole project, setting their sights very high. Did they make the greatest Star Trek pilot ever? No. No. But but I think that in trying for that, they actually... They didn't did make the worst either. No. But they, and they, accomplished, <laughs> they accomplished some things that were born of their experience. And I think... Except for maybe the theme song, there are other attempts of trying to modernize it. Well, I guess the over-the-top sexuality was also it was like so distracting but, and it wasn't. Yeah, integrated and well. I think and that also might be part like the reason for that might be because network television television at the time was really trying to like compete with things like HBO, which you can just be like completely fully nude in. Mm-hmm. Um like The Sopranos and Sex and the City and all of those shows at the same time. Um, and I know that networks were like, well, how do we compete with being able to say the F word and, you know, boobs. And I think in some cases they went a little, they went as far as they could. And they're like, let's just have everyone in underwear. I think if they were to do this again now, if they still couldn't do the build up to, you know, taking one whole season to launch the ship, let's say, Mm -hmm. I think the crew would be even younger. And what I liked about this one, I think what I liked about this one was that they all did come off as young, young, certainly younger than the previous shows. Yeah. And I think the cast for the most part is, is pretty okay. Um, But I think you would also, you know what I mean? Cause this is the same network was gossip girl, right? Or no, that's, that's the CW or CW. Yeah. But anyway, you know what I mean? Like that's the, the ocean it's swimming in or, or the pond it's swimming in essentially based on where it was network wise. And I think that trying to Scott Bakula as your lead, it kind of does suggest that you're, you know what I mean? It's much more NCIS in that sense. He's the Mark Harmon. And, um, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I would just wonder if they tried it again right now, would you go with someone maybe, maybe just turn 40 and you know what I mean? Or, or even th- William Shatner, Captain Kirk's 33. So like in the original series, they were all even mm-hmm. younger, but um, so that's all. I mean, but, I on it. They probably would just still go with Scott Bakula if they made it today. He's almost seventy. <laughs> that's bizarre. I, I, I guess that's true. 
he was on one episode of Boston. He's Legal, like perpetually so... the song, the same age for me. I don't know why. Yeah. But I, I, yeah. I don't watch the show he's on. So he was very cool when he was on Boston Legal for that one episode. Like oh, that's he nice. Was, he was like, I'm only, you know, he's like full charm, offensive, and and really professional. Great. So no bad. Were there any horrible him. guest stars on Boston Legal? You can tell me later. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to do that off the air. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay so thank you for listening we'll be back next week with an all new episode be sure to rate and review us on apple Podcasts. give us five stars there and on spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts yeah, i better really see this us. on some of your end of year spotify lists that's right <laughs> it would really help us out we're not you friends know, anymore yeah we're in deep with some ferengi bookies we need some uh some money yeah. so uh, you can also follow us online on Twitter and Instagram at TrekMaryKPod. And we just launched a new website, TrekMaryKillPod.com. So that has all of our links and the standings of everything we've graded so far. We had a tie on our Star Trek Voyager caretaker pilot, and I'm keeping voting open on all platforms. I don't know what I mean by that is wherever I can stick a poll <laughs> and uh, uh, keeping that open through January. So if you think it's a Trek, Mary, or Kill, let us know. And we got one person who said it was Mary, and we don't know who it is. I think they wanted to make sure that the balance of Trek and and Kill stayed at 50-50. That's why they did that. I, and also it was my or mistake. Or they just wanted it. to see the results. Yeah. They I also shouldn't have one. even put the Mary on there. That was my mistake. But I also <laughs> wanted to give I wanted to give the fans a voice. Because <laughs> God knows Star wrong. Trek fans have never had a voice. Yeah. <laughs> This is the only Star Trek related content on the internet ever. And they must know, we must know what they think. So until next week, TMK out. Bye. You're watching. 